0: This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. Speechtherapypd.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider.
1: Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, Fed, Fun, and Functional. I'm your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast was, like most creative processes, birthed from a combination of a several cups of coffees and honestly, even more questions posed by a series of impassioned graduate students that I've had the pleasure of supervising over the last several years. First Bite's mission? to answer those questions that we've all had, but we've either been too afraid to ask or we didn't have the subject matter expert saved to our own personal speed dials. So, do you too have more questions and answers when it comes to treating your medically complex and fragile pediatric patients? Are you unsure if the signs and symptoms that you're observing are indicative of an allergy, maybe an underlying GI issues, or could they possibly be neurologically driven? How many questions do you really have for that registered dietitian regarding the formulas prescribed and the flow rate through that patient's G-tube? Have you ever been consulted for a quote-unquote difficult latch only to find out that the mother is exclusively breastfeeding, but you've never nursed a little one or worked with the breastfed patient before? And what about functional communication? Are you so over flashcards, but you need advice on how to get started with core vocabulary with a non-speech generating device or how to find the right fit for a speech generating device? Do you have additional worries about the basic day-to-day running and documentation of your private practice? How do you go about obtaining referrals or even documenting that note so that the insurance company deems it medically necessary? If you answered yes, well, then come join me, Michelle Dawson, for this dynamic podcast presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Who am I, you ask? Well, I'm a self-described SLP geek with, as my family says, a touch of the ADD and ADHD. I have a passion for serving the least of these, namely the most complex and involved pediatric patients in their natural environment through my private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in the Columbia, South Carolina metro area. I also have had the pleasure, and currently still am, traveling the country where I lecture on best practices for pediatric dysphagia and functional language acquisition delivered through an early intervention natural environment model. Are you still intrigued? Then come join me as I interview some amazing folks. And don't forget that you can submit questions for Q&A or interview request topics to me via email at, firstbite at speechtherapypd.com or on our Facebook page. And also check out our website, drop a review, subscribe to obtain those coveted Ashton CEUs. All right, folks, let's get right to it. Welcome back to First Bite FED, Fun and Functional Resources for the Pediatric Clinician. I'm your host, Michelle Dawson, the All Thing Peds SLP. And the topic of today falls again in that FED category with emphasis on part two of our lactation counseling From the perspective of the speech language pathologist, and yes, we are still with Miss Abby Bishop, uh, speech pathologist and certified lactation counselor from Beaufort, South Carolina. And we are continuing our lovely talk on all things boobies and um, getting into the meats and potatoes. Uh, If you are just joining us, please go back and listen to part one of You Want to Breastfeed, but wait, I'm the SLP, where we talk about assessments. And in this part, part two, we're going to talk about uh, treatments, interventions, and how uh, you need to be dynamic and think on your feet. All right. So, Miss Abby, without further ado, I am going to turn it right over to you because I am like totally like, we were in the zone on the assessment. So, all right, so take away you you've done your assessment, but you have to you feel like right out the gate intervene because moms are hurting, babies are hungry. Right. Okay.
0: So go in just developmental history, latch assessment usually is next. I want to always take a pre feed weight post-feed weight although in my new home health life I need to buy a million dollar scale so sometimes I'm not doing that (laughs) um and then we're going to be trialing compensatory strategies while we're doing this whole latch assessment so let's say baby mom presents baby baby tries to latch can't quite get it but you know so mom does the little like sandwich squish into the mouth and makes this terrible wincing noise and baby's frustrated and fussing, and you can just tell it's not going well. (laughs) I'm going to ask mom to break the latch, and we're going to, I'm going to give her some pointers, and then we're going to try again. Okay. So one of the main things that I'm going to do, again, before I call in the big guns of the lactation consultant, um, is just do some, some relatively like surface level adjustments to the latch like okay let's just try this and see if it works um sometimes it's magically works and then I just will need to see them one time and hooray we're done um but you know more often if they're being referred to me it's because those little tiny adjustments didn't work so are, can you tell me
1: give me an example of some of the tiny adjustments
0: right so the Oh, probably 95 to 100%. I might even be comfortable saying 100% of the kids that I get referred to me, at least at their first visit, have a very what's called a shallow latch. So breastfeeding is called breastfeeding for a reason. They are supposed to have breast tissue in their mouth. It's not called nipple feeding, which is what most babies with tongue or lip tie or other issues with latch do they tend to just latch onto that nipple and they're just non gnawing it away which is killing mom yeah i mean they're yep. often bleeding blistering sores and i'm just like oh my, plus 10 mom points for you um so you want to do i i mentioned that whole sandwich idea i think a lot of women who have breastfed and maybe even if you haven't can kind of imagine how am I going to get this boob into the baby's mouth? I know I'll just pinch it and put it in there. Hmm. That is problematic for about a zillion reasons. But, um, the, the largest two are that yes, it's a compensatory strategy and occasionally you can get boob in there, but you didn't teach the baby anything, right? Our goal as therapists is not just compensatory strategy for mom, but let's, let's build this baby skill So that they can be a successful feeder on their own and not necessarily need to be reliant on that mom at all times for every single thing. Um, So that's a big one. But additionally, you can't when you squeeze the boob in and set it in there, you're going to move things around when you let go of it. So what you just set up to be successful as soon as you let go is probably going to be unsuccessful again. So generally that doesn't work long-term. It might work for a second, it might work for the first couple of minutes of the feeding. Um, but unless mom stays in her awkward position where she just put boob in baby's mouth, which is like not sustainable for 10, 20, 30 minutes of a feeding um, that's not going to work. Okay. So we need to teach good body mechanics to breastfeeding, which there is such a thing. Did you know? And, um, then there, there are other things like the way that you present the baby to the breast that can <clears throat> help get a deeper latch. So the first thing I'm always looking for is I want tummy to tummy. It's called skin to skin for a reason. Um, they should belly button to belly button kind of a thing. You want the baby to be flushed. So not just their head turned towards the breast, but their whole body. So you got to tip the whole baby's body. You want their hips and knees to be flexed. Okay. (laughs) And um, you want to present actually your nipple to their nose, not to their mouth. Um, When you do that, it makes the baby take a big bite of breast tissue. You know, we want their head actually to go back. So that's another thing. uh, The tendency for a lot of moms is to put your hand right behind I'm doing it can you see yeah I'm, I'm watching you <laughs> I'm just laughing because this is an audio only but I'm showing everybody over here um mom puts the, the her hand right behind baby's head and that will prevent him from from really leaning back to take a big bite of breast tissue so you want to just support the neck and maybe the very base of the skull so that you're getting free moosh, motion to the baby's neck um head and neck so you're presenting nose to nipple. And what that'll make the baby do is take head back, mouth open wide, take a big bite of um, breast mm-hmm. tissue. You need okay. the chin to hit first. Baby's chin to hit first, not nose to hit first. If their nose comes down first, they're going to get too shallow of a latch and they're not going to get good breast compression mm-hmm. um, for adequate milk transfer. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of so nose to nipple, tummy to tummy, hips flexed, knees flexed. Um, bonus is having some pressure against their feet, um, especially for our kids with any kind of sensory issues, preemie kiddos, who just like kinesthetic awareness is not, um, we want to make them know their boundaries, you know, so they've got that pressure, uh, and on their stomach of mom's stomach, they got mom usually in cross cradle, which is, um, basically if she's, if baby's on the left breast, she's going to be holding, across her body so you're going to be holding with her other arm holding that whole baby's body on the back so they have compression on both sides of them you have something by their feet so they have compression there and then hand behind the head um so that they have they all of their surfaces are touched they know where they are they're comfortable in space it's going to make them way more comfortable when they go to take a bite of boob and do the hard work of eating
1: Okay, you just blew my mind for a multitude of reasons. But one of them was even having pressure through their feet at that early of an age. Because that's one of the biggest things that I see in my, like, older kids when we're working on, like, sitting up. And we're working on, like, open mouth cup drinking or, like, bringing hand to mouth. The kids that have no pressure through their feet fail first. But if we get them secure, if I can get, like, OTPT in there and we can do, like, lateral supports and, I mean, like, it, it, it even goes back to that young I'm just mm-hmm. mm, oh my god that's so cool all right keep keep going body awareness is a big thing body awareness is a huge thing huge and thing. I think it's such a disservice
0: in the home health world I don't know about you but I know where we are like I'm not allowed to co-treat I'm like,
1: oh it's well, terrible sometimes I, it's I can co-treat and um, I've actually lined up um, Paul Tardy. He's an OTR that I work with and full disclosure, his wife acts as both of our referral coordinators. Um, He does body mapping and reflex integration and he's like a magic baby whisperer. And he's going to do one on um, positioning um, for PO intake and um, transfers. He's going to, we're going to, I'm going to interrupt him. Right. I was like, this is so what you just let la- you like laid foundation for things to come. It's just all right. Continue. Sorry. Squirrel. Back to the boobies. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so but positioning positioning is just super important. And you just I mean, that starts to go by the wayside as they get older. Like I, I keep referring to my daughter and I just do that. But um she's six months now. She's had a tongue tie release. She's got feeding down still has reflux. So I try to keep her turn, but at this like four to six month age, they start to get super distractible. And sometimes maintaining that body position, like just doesn't happen, but if that's not when the problem is introduced, you know, it's okay. So I do try to um, remind parents of that, especially when they're close to discharge, because sometimes they're just a little hyper still about positioning. And I'm like, that's good. Like stay hyper for as long as you can, but don't freak out if your baby's turning her head and you know, she'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> like you don't need to yank on her. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yes, positioning super matters, especially when you're teaching good latch and, um, <clears throat> oh, other part of positioning, you want hands around the breast. So cool thing about how boobs are cool. Um, And babies, too. Babies are cool. So with their hands around the breast, as they kind of massage, they just naturally sort of push on your breasts. That actually is going to stimulate milk production and milk flow.
1: All right. Cool Talked about mammal boobies. As a small girl growing up, that's what baby cows do to their mothers when they're nursing. They bump their udders. They head bump the udders to get more milk to flow, too.
0: I have heard... I have, this has not been corroborated, but I heard that that's why cats do that weird Me. thing that they do with their hands, you know, and they're like, yeah. Cut, yeah, that it like stems from that, and that they only do it with people they trust and love, and they want your boob. But yeah, who knows what that? Like.
1: <laughs> I I don't know. I, I I love cats, but I'm a dog girl, so I'll stick with cows <laughs> and dogs <laughs> and babies. I'm allergic, <laughs> so I have to stay with the
0: cats, you know. Yeah. Um. But anyway, yeah. So. Hands around the breast is another big one, which you will see in kids who are disorganized. They just don't know what to do with their hands. They get real handsy hands by the mouth, especially if they're starving all the time. You know, that's a feeding cue hands in the mouth. So you you get these babies that are really hungry and you're already going to be set up to have a hard time latching them because they're all over the place emotionally, and then physically, you, you're like, okay, but where do I put these hands? What do we do with these hands? So you tend to swaddle. But then sometimes if you swaddle and you take the hands away, you're actually,
1: again, doing a disservice because that that is going to help <laughs> supply. Okay. So should we help position and encourage the mother to put her hand over the baby's hands at breast? Is that what you're suggesting? So
0: if you're going to take away hands, I usually take the top hand away and I'll leave the bottom one because a lot of times you can block with your own arm. So you're going to put their hand under your breast, and then when they go crazy, your arm is kind of blocking them, and their head is laying on your arm. I'm not sure if you can picture that, mm-hmm. but um, it's easier to block the bottom hand than the top hand. So you can sometimes swaddle the top hand, but I have noticed that if it's if it's not, you either need it swaddled or free. Trying to block that top hand usually just really upsets the baby
1: okay I meant from like if you help teach them how to hold it on I'm trying to like show this to you like if their little hand is flailing should we like encourage them to like hold it down like onto the breast to like facilitate that is this an ot question where where does this fall in the things
0: so yeah I mean if the, if the baby is like not if it's more just like a confusion, what do I do with my hands? And you kind of have to read the kid to see like, are, are they just disorganized guys and don't know what to do? Then yes, definitely. You want to try to guide hands to breasts and see if you can get them to stay there. If it's like a flailing, I'm freaking out. I can't organize my life. I don't know what to do. Okay. Then either I'm going to swaddle that hand in and try to leave the bottom hand out so that, you know, they can do it on the one side or, I'm just going to let it flail and see if they figure it out as we get the latch going. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to read the kid and and decide. Um, but what I don't like to have happen is mom holding that hand down the whole time we're working on latch. It's distracting okay. mom and it's distracting baby. They got enough other stuff to focus on. I'm making them look at body alignment. I'm making them look at where they present the nipple. I'm making them make sure they don't hold the back of the head. You know, they get a lot of focus on if they're also mm-hmm. working on, Holding that hand to the breast is just going to overwhelm everybody, mom and baby. Gotcha. And therapist, to be honest, sometimes I'm like, let the hand go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. So, um, but
1: wow, where was I? What am I talking assessment. about? Assessment. That's okay. All the boobs. All right. So when you go in and you're doing your assessment and you're doing the positioning, and we talked in the earlier, um. Uh, The earlier filming about um, the letdown, and I didn't know women could have multiple letdowns during um, a session. So, what if when you're doing your assessment, I mean, clearly the kid's aspirating; like they're having this massive letdown, this massive flow. Like, what do you do to not drown the tiny human?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, um, usually, that actually rarely happens for me um if it's just a general like in the in the this is usually what you're going to see while you're doing a breastfed baby mm-hmm. most of them are not because of letdown so generally the letdown is stimulated by the suck reflex and if the kid's getting a good suck then most of the time they're not going to be drowned by the letdown um they might pop off and pop back on but it's like usually not like a oh god please stop situation mm-hmm. it's like a Give them a second, you know, whatever, Um, because they must be getting a relatively good suck in order to stimulate that letdown in most cases. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes they're like drowning at the breast, not related to a melt, to a letdown. And then, you know, we need to work on some things. So I'm always going to try again to get this um, deeper latch. When they get the deep latch, the baby is not having to hold on so tight with their lips, which is one reason why I see kids really struggle. Try to drink out of a water bottle and like hold on really tight with your lips and suddenly your tongue doesn't know what's happening. It's just like you can't do it. Um, You need to have loose, you know, a tight labial seal to the breast but not grabbing on for dear life, right? Um, So the more breast tissue they get in their mouth, the more likely that breast is going to stay in there and they're not going to feel like they need to hold on for dear life. So, um, nose to nipple is a great way to, to try to get that deeper latch. Once you can, if you can't get a deeper latch, a lot of times, you know, you need to go back to that tongue and lip tie assessment. Um, if maybe you weren't sure at the beginning, check again, because now you've seen they can't get a deep latch. Mom's breast is probably misshapen. Usually there's like a line down it. It's like flattened. I've and seen that. if it's not like bloody, <laughs> um, yeah moms usually complain of pinching pinching is the word that usually means tongue tie versus just straight pain sometimes it can be other things but if if they very clearly say it's like a a sharp pinching pain I it's almost always a tongue tie Mm
1: -hmm. um what about a lip tie because I've seen a lot of kids that can't get the good flange and it's because they have a lip tie mm -hmm. and I mean I'm looking at it from like the bottle perspective, but like, I mean, they can't flange up to the rim and get that entire bottle nipple in it's, you know, that top lip is tethered down or right.
0: So there are, um, four, well, I mean, there's different classification systems, but I I'd say most babies that I get referred to me have a class three or class four maxillary lip tie.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: which is the frenulum tissue attaches just at the, the point it's called the the AP anterior papillae, I think mm-hmm. um, that it's either attaching right there or just above it. So there's like a thick band of tissue and you can totally see it. But um, a lot of times the lip can flange. You just have to do it manually. So at least in my area, other places might be different, at least in my area, almost no one, will cut the lip tie. Um, they get that weird advice that's like, oh, don't worry about it. In a couple of years, they'll fall and tear it. And I'm like, is, how is that medical advice? But
1: whatever. <laughs> I have actually had a mom say, well, I mean, the, you know, his older brother had it, but then like he busted his lip and was fine. And I'm like, that's, that, oh no. So yeah. that's, what the, that's
0: what the pediatricians in my area say. Mm. we don't need to cut it it's fine it'll break later when he falls I'm like what whatever so most of them will not um cut the lip tie so unless it's like really bad it doesn't matter because I'm not going to find anybody to do it and if I do find somebody to do it they're going to put them under anesthesia and then they have to wait till they're six months and it's a whole thing okay a sidebar really quick I know a guy in Colombia. so call me later no so do I actually I just heard about that guy and he's great it's probably the same one He's a whisper. Um, whisperer. <laughs> yeah, he just contacted me because he's like, we need more people in your area. And I was like, I will be your person in my area. So anyway, um, but, you know, that is another problem though with this rural location is that a lot of families can't afford to go there and, and or don't want to take Medicaid transportation yeah. that whole way. So that is a major problem that we have is even when I find a good referral source, many of my families don't want to go there. And I'm like, you're killing me, Smalls. Please. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, so, lip tie. Yeah. Um I, Most, unless it's like really tethered, I will try to just teach the, the mom to look for it and to flange the lip. Uh-huh. Most, most babies, I keep saying most. I don't really know what I'm cal- categorizing most as percentage-wise, but I feel like most of my babies um, can... I can get the lip flipped. Mm-hmm. Um, but in some cases, there's like very clearly not a tongue tie and it's still causing mom pain. So, you know, then I'm like, teach his own. if you, you can either kind of deal with this pain because milk transfer is OK. Generally, if it's just a lip tie, milk transfer will be OK, but it's still causing mom pain. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that is. Because in theory it should be affecting the milk transfer, but it seems not to. Hmm. Um, well, they, um, but definitely this lip tie and tongue tie are very highly correlated. One usually predicts the other. So really look well, especially if you see a really thick lip tie, even if it flanges easily. Check for a posterior tongue tie and check super well for that because it's it it's more than likely going to be there. Okay. And both of them are associated with higher incidence of reflux.
1: Okay, so I have a theory, on it, and it's a working theory. Um, and it was when I was when I was out in California and I was doing some lectures. There was there was a phenomenal SLP out in Stanford, and she first put planted the seed. So if you are listening, call me because I want to pick your GERD brain. But um, <laughs> what she said was that they were seeing more. GERD an increased prevalence in GERD with the ties just like you were talking about but it they're thinking that and we're thinking and I'm gonna build on it a bit the anterior positioning of the tongue because with the tie it anchors it forward pulls the hyoid bone slightly upward forward it like even at a rest state and which triggers that UES I like how I'm doing my hands so that you can see it. The UES to be in a semi-permanent, slightly open position. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That, that's, Definitely. What, that's what's fluttering around in my head. You would, right. that, those,
0: the gold learning classes, there's one, I think Hazel Baker teaches it. I have to look back. Um, that is talking about anatomy. And um, I think I, I mentioned it earlier, the whole developmental history becomes really important because things like, I remember, you know, I'll take case history, especially before I really did feeding. And I always ask like, bottle or breast? Well, how was birth? And mom's like, came out with cord wrapped around their neck. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. I don't notate that anywhere. Like I didn't, I'm like, oh, socks for baby. Okay. Was there any anoxic event? Nope cool moving on like i just didn't i didn't yeah. know why that was so relevant but now yes realizing that all of that affects the structures and and potentially the function mm-hmm. of it, like everything literally everything so trying to identify what could have contributed to that if it, it how long was that cord wrapped around their neck you know it might have been like that in utero for a while and they they may have had some anoxia but even before that, like are, what structures are you shortening? Where's the hyoid in relation, all that? Is it a symmetric pulling? You know, if there's any kind of torticollis, you're pulling on one side, but not the other. So what what is that doing, the feeding and swallowing and just all this crazy stuff. But that is very interesting. I wouldn't have thought about that. I kind of just always attributed it to poor feeding issues mm-hmm. that maybe led to more air intake. I mean, I don't really know.
1: Well, okay. But, but way more legit than mine. I'm going to go no, with that. They're, they're <laughs> building on each other. Okay, but, okay. So you you mentioned torticollis because, all right, here's the thing. When you breastfeed, you naturally, I mean, at least I did, I naturally rotated breast. And the way mm-hmm. I first ate, he would eat a few minutes on one boob and a few minutes on the second boob. And then somehow or another, my body and his body got to the point where I would end up doing an entire feed on one breast, and then later an entire feed on the next breast. And my boobs would do one of these. So for like three months, I walked around with one itty bitty and one giant, and like they just like if took. It, you can see right now my right one is huge, and my left one is not because we do the same thing over here. Okay, all right. So, but with, with that, when I'm breastfeeding the child, like my boys, like every however often they ate. And let's be honest, there was a camper. Um, like he would just chill for like 45 minutes to an hour and get off and go back on. Um, don't you love it when they use you as a pacifier? Mom's listening. Don't you love it when they use you as a pacifier? Um, but they're learning how to strengthen. It's not unilateral work. You see what I'm saying? But I feel like when we're bottle feeding, we get in a really bad habit of how many of us are right-handed? So we take the baby in our left arm and throw the bottle in with the right, and they only learn to rotate to that wrong side. And then I have to wonder, what about our babies that have torticollis? Like, are we rotating them as much as they should be to piggyback on what the OT and the PT are doing? Do you ever, yeah. do you see that? What, are, what are your thoughts? Yes. Um, and I
0: actually, interestingly, sometimes I'll get um, like one breast will have damage and the other one won't, or a child will refuse one breast and not the other.
1: Mm -hmm. And it,
0: it will be either torticollis or like an almost torticollis situation where I'm like, you really need to do these stretching because they, the way that their head has to tip a little bit will be uncomfortable on one breast. And so they just always prefer to nurse on the one side. And so sometimes it can even create a, a side preference. Um, Mm -hmm. Really positioning is very important in kids who have torticollis, like paying, going back to paying attention. Sometimes I'll have moms sit in front of a mirror so that they can see that the baby's, you know, especially once you get in the hang of it and like baby's hungry, you're not thinking like, oh, let's do the science. Let's measure angles. Like you kind of need to sometimes at the beginning, especially, um, you don't want to have their head tipped at all. You're trying to have straight line ears over shoulders, over hips. Tummy tucked mm-hmm. towards mom, hands around the breast, you know, like really paying attention to that alignment, especially if there um, is any torticollis going on because they need to learn that neutral state.
1: OK. All right. So for those of us, you and I are throwing this word out there because we we do the thing. But can you explain what is torticollis for people who don't understand what it means? And I again, like we're, I'm, that. what? <laughs> I'm going
0: to throw that right back at you and you do it. It's a shortening of uh, what muscle? Ceramic yeah,
1: mastoid, so.
0: mastoid. Yeah. Yeah. weight And then isn't there
1: another one involved, though, that causes a tilt? So is this a, is that? where I throw it on the OTs and say it's below the clavicle. And technically, this one's not below the clavicle, but torticollis is where um, the neck is tighter on one side than on the other. And, um, but you gotta remember when it, folks, you're you're tethering and you're anchoring down one side of the larynx how are you actually going to um transit a bolus and have unilateral or um, bilateral equal clearance of the bolus materials is not going to happen so um also dialectal variations my family from backwood mountains virginia we don't call it torticollis i grew up hearing it called the rye neck so we have the rye neck you got to roll it. You got to roll it off your top. That baby, that baby's got the rye neck. You just put a pound of sugar on that there baby shoulder. That baby's going to be fine. That's what we would do. <laughs> I'm not even making that up when they have that's the so rye neck. Yeah. They're, they're just uh, brought up. You put a pound of sugar and it stretches it. <laughs> Yay. That's great. Uh, yeah. Yes, we oh. all, it's, it's special we're functional it's okay
0: <laughs> <laughs> but i you can also so torticol is signs for people who don't know what it is mm-hmm. it, head tilt or turn and or turn um and then to one side or the other like consistently mm-hmm. and eventually you can start to notice the misshapening in the head or even like just the patchiness of hair wow. like if there's a weird hair pa- pattern um you can look for things like that um, strong preference for one side or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, moms usually will know if you, if you ask and you're like, does he have a, does he have a preference? Usually, even if they don't know what sort of cost, they'll be like, yeah, actually that's weird. He only likes to turn his head to the right. And they almost always will tell me. Uh-huh. Um, All
1: right. when, when, do you, when you see that, who do you refer to quickest? OT, PT, or is it unique because of your rural location?
0: We refer to PT here, um, but the OTs are mad about that because they want the tiny babies also. So the OTs are trying to break into the torty world, okay. and they just haven't successfully yet. The physicians refer always to PT, but mm-hmm. uh, to my knowledge, I think both can can yeah. do it, and it kind of depends on location.
1: Yeah, I, I we have equal smattering of OT PT, and I've had it where both got called in. Um, but typically, when both got called in, the kid had like hemiparesis unilateral hemiparesis from like other things. So, um, okay. All right. I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking through our, um, our, our to-do list that you were so gracious enough to provide, to keep us, um, excited booby women on track. Um, where, when do you, when do you make referrals? I mean, you're the speech path. You have your CLC. When do you refer out to, as you lovingly referred them, the big guns?
0: Um. Well, all the time, like sometimes on every kid. So <laughs> generally, I guess it depends also on the age of the kid. Gen- if it's inside that like four to six week window, I will almost always refer to the IBCLC because You're usually going to be dealing with some kind of supply problem. If the kid is not getting great milk transfer, those first four to six weeks are super important. And I mean, the first week and then the first four weeks and then the first six weeks are super important in determining milk supply. So if mom is not removing enough milk from her, or baby's not removing enough milk from mom's breast, mom's boob doesn't. It's very smart, but it doesn't know, oh, the kid has a tongue tie. It can't see. So it just thinks, oh, baby only needs one ounce of milk, but really baby needs three and just can only get one. Uh-huh. So there's supply issues. I can tell you some stuff to do, power pumping and like th- there's different strategies for building supply. Um, nipple stretching. That's one. Do it in the bathroom. It's great. Oh. Um oh. <laughs> there's there's like put it, I mean, it can get like pretty involved. There's the way that milk supply is determined is There's these like intervals between when the breast is getting stimulated, basically. So that's why that's part of the reason why babies feed so often at the beginning, because your hormones are learning to release more and more of that hormone and they don't just dump it all out. They're learning to release it slowly. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not even going to go into all the things, partly because I don't know them, partly because the ones I do know, there's a lot of them. So any kind of supply issue or risk for supply issue, I will try to contact the IBCLC. Sometimes I make recommendations on site and then I say, okay, so do that unless I call you and tell you that was dumb. And then I'll call the IBCLC and be like, hey, this is this mom. This is what I told her. Do you want to go out there and bill for it and tell her something more or different? Or did I do that right? And the one that I work with is so super sweet. She's like, good job kind of, maybe this is one thing you want to do differently. (laughs) And sometimes she'll take the referral and other times she's like, yeah, you can just do that. So um, we have a great working relationship and, and she is just like mentor status. She's, she's really sweet. And she's been helping me because I mean, really when I got my CLC, I had seen like, one breastfeeding kid. Like I just, I mean, I got several of them to me, but most of them had stopped breastfeeding. So I got my CLC and I had never seen a breastfeeding patient really. Mm-hmm. Um so I was making it up as I went along and you know, pulling people asking them to help me and things. Um so she has been um fabulous. Okay,
1: but you you're <coughs> you you've made a really good point here. And if you're the smartest person in the room, get out and get a new room. And honey you're you're brilliant and yet you've built uh, a village around you to help you better serve your patients that's i regularly refer patients to the children's hospital down near you because like i need a different set of eyes and ears like i only know what i know i don't know what i don't know i don't have their evidence-based triangle years of experience in the diverse cases that they see so that's I mean, I do the exact same thing. Send the referral yeah,
0: that's another yeah. why I am a Michelle Dawson fan. I feel like uh, in the feeding world. <laughs> no, I'm super serious. Like this is a big compliment to you, and I probably have already told it to you. But um I feel like not very many people in the feeding world, and I would maybe even include myself in that, in this bad category, until recently, until working with you some more. And this whole CLC thing, right? It humbled me. We just get this ego thing. And, you know, we go to teach other people and our, we don't say like, you've got this, like you can do this. Let me know if you need help. And instead our strategy is like, you got this. Do you need me to help you? You probably need my help. Don't you? And it's just this like whole, because feeding's awesome and we all want to do it. And we want to be the only one that does it. And I just think that it's like weird power trip circle of life yeah. that happens with dysphagia specialists, yeah, and sometimes we're not specialists. <laughs> we just would really like to be, <laughs> so you, we forget that we're not
1: it. You know, we gotta yeah, really. That's, that's why. That's why I wanted to interview you because you are. You have this awesome skill set, and you you help babies that are like falling through cracks. That are just. It's just beautiful to watch and. So thank you. Thank you for letting me Girl Crush nerd you. <laughs> and everybody on the outside is like, oh, they fangirl each other. Oh. <laughs> okay.
0: I mean, so yes, refer, refer, refer. I refer to the IBCLC. Um, I we don't have anyone that I have found except for this place in Savannah, which is very far like when you have a tiny human. Mm-hmm. Um That does good body work, which is like the craniosacral therapy and things to kind of fix what may have been shifted structurally in utero or during birth Mm -hmm. or thereafter. Um, That is a big thing that uh, Hazel Baker, I have mentioned her name a couple of times. She does um, craniosacral craniosacral therapy and is like a super advocate um, for it. And the more I learn about it, the more I'm like, well, crap, I got to find somebody who's willing to learn um, most. I think you have to have either be certified, trained in it or um, I, like, you know, for one of us to take it would be a like a whole long class. Mm-hmm. But um, chiropractors and massage therapists, I want to say, can get certified in craniosacral therapy, which with much less um, back work yes and coursework and all of that so Mm -hmm. i am thinking i just need to find somebody in this area who will maybe be willing to go to classes and learn about that Mm -hmm. um do more of it because i just don't know Mm -hmm. anybody but um that is a referral source that i should be using that i'm not because i don't have anywhere to send them um (coughs) We refer back to the IBCLC is especially great about being like, that's weird. Go to your pediatrician <laughs> um, for any kind of reflux issues. You know, you, you GI, um, pediatrician, feeding clinics, all that kind of stuff. And I have a kid on Caseload who I actually was speaking to you about who may end up needing a G-tube. So they're having to go through all those things. We're actually looking at trying to get her into... Um, what, like an inpatient feeding clinic you know she started with me at the breast and then we went to bottle and now she's just got feeding aversions. and so you just need to refer along the way yep. um yep. big one is always going to be ent or dentist or whoever you have in your area that's going to do the tongue tie um release
1: or assess for it okay. um if you can find someone who will do it same day the mamas will love you yeah that I think the friend that you have the contact for the same day so yeah
0: most uh, of them are starting to do the same day and especially like no anesthesia that's another thing um mm-hmm. that, that I have noticed is going out of style thankfully because it's really a actual like 20 second to 60 second procedure <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's
1: like not a big thing um, you don't need anesthesia <laughs> um, um yeah all right, now I have one last question because it has always boggled my mind. When the mother gets, is it when the mother gets a yeast infection at the breast or when the baby gets a yeast infection in their mouth and they do the blue dye? You know what I'm talking about? Rush. Yes. Yeah. What is that? What
0: what is that? I don't even know. So they talked about that in our course and I really felt like exactly what you just said. What is that? And I have not had to deal with it personally. So okay. um, I've had a couple of babies who had thrush before I got to them. So that was part of their referral to me is uh-huh. they were treated for thrush and like nine, somebody identified. but it's basically some kind of fungal. I, I don't understand. I'm like, what is the blue dye doing? Like, I don't,
1: what, what's happening there? I don't know. Okay. So if somebody knows yeah. the answer to that question, let us know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay.
0: Um, but yeah, I I haven't seen that very often. I also um, haven't dealt a lot with like the breast issues, like um, mastitis or the, blob, the blebs or clogs or anything. I haven't, fortunately, but I would normally refer out to the IBCLC for that anyway, just because I'm more focused on the baby and how baby is interacting with mom's boob, you know, than mom's boob all by itself. (laughs) I think the CLC part of me um, could learn more about that and bill for that separately. But as far as billing under the speech therapy category, like I'm not gonna be able to bill for things that I am addressing with mom's um, breast issues. So I just haven't really focused on that because I'm not billing for it at this point.
1: Okay, Well, like, there it is. <laughs> All right. So, any last um any last words of wisdom, pearls of wisdom you want to lay on us? As as my Theodore would say, yay it on me. <laughs> uh uh-huh.
0: um one thing that I thought about like five times that I didn't mention and I my I'm pretty sure it was from the first one, but I might as well just say it here. Um additional breastfeeding benefit especially well, in all babies, but the reason I think it's so great is because our at-risk babies and our preemies have so many GI issues. Um, breastfeeding actually sets them up for like GI success and um, feeding in general. But that whole idea of them, you were joking about doing 11 when they pacify at the breast. Yeah, yeah. like no one does. But um, it really promotes hormone release that leads to like calming at least the satiety and it also promotes insulin release so then they're developing that whole relationship pancreatic function is improving like these GI hormones that are secreted because of sucking are super important to GI health and development and We get these preemies and we tube them because that's what you have to do. I mean, I get it. You know, they don't have. Right. But if you can teach them how to suck, especially if you can teach them to suck at the breast because they're going to get the added benefits of the temp control and the um, antibodies and all the other things that we talked about, watch part one. But um, getting all of that and setting them up for GI success, I just think is so awesome. I just, you know, I have so many kids um that come later for feeding and really their only history that's significant and I don't mean only because it's very significant is that they were like super preemie but they have all these constipation reflux and all this stuff going on that has since everything contributing to it has been resolved but it's still existing or whatever you know I'm like what and the, the physicians, everybody just says, yeah, you know, they were preemie that happened. So I'm like, why does but that happen? Have to Yeah. So
1: yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, <coughs> and then they all have so, that formula that we love to hate. Cause we hate that formula. So yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. So mm-hmm. anyway, if you can do anything to set up for GI
0: success, you're going to be, um, solving later feeding issues or preventing later feeding issues if we can fix that gi system now um so that's just one more breastfeeding benefit that i kept thinking of that i kept forgetting to say so there it is
1: Feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind and feed those babies.